Hi, and welcome to The Literary Sipper. I'm Amber Beattie Hill, your host, and today I wanted to talk about lifting the creative veil. So I hope you'll join me and listen for a little bit about what I think makes the 21st century such a powerful time to be creative. In this age of social media consumption and so much content, you have no idea what to do. You're just being inundated with short-form videos, long-form videos, Instagram pics, podcasts, phone messages that include a myriad of links to memes or to funny reels or whatever. It can feel often that you're just inundated with vision and more than often, other people's vision, and you're just turned into a consumer, even though everything in you is screaming, I really want to make stuff. I want to be the person who contributes. But at the same time, are you just contributing to the noise? And I wanted to look at this in a different way and to reframe sort of what's going on in this technological landscape that we have, and especially post-COVID landscape, where content itself is at once trying to sell you something, but at the same time is trying to make you feel something. And it is in that feeling something that we can see the benefit and the connection that social media can offer. But one thing the age that we're in offers that previous ages did not offer is the idea that artists do not work in a vacuum. We grew up with this notion that they were special people, talented people that sprung up out of nowhere, like Aphrodite from the foam or something, and that only those special people were able to make those special once-in-a-lifetime offerings, whether that included the Bach symphonies or the Mona Lisa or Charlotte's Web. We had this idea in our head that those people were special, that those works were delivered to them from on high, and that there was very little that we could do to measure up. Now, I'm not saying that Da Vinci, E.B. White, and Bach were not geniuses. And I am not saying that the works they produced were not important works that and milestones in the art forms that they represented. What I'm saying is that there were probably hundreds, if not thousands, of scribbled out, scratched out, notes, sketches, melodies that did not make it to their final form. And the audiences were not privy to those things. And that's why later on, probably in the 80s especially, we got collections of the letters of E.B. White or the sketches of da Vinci. There was a huge Metropolitan exhibit of the, all of da Vinci's sketches in the 90s. It was, it was just lines out the block for people to see sort of what fed into those larger paintings. And of course, we don't have recordings of original Bach rehearsals or anything like that. 
But we can imagine now that those things existed. I remember once when I was teaching in New York that I was privy enough to attend a Teachers and Writers Conference in the summer with Colin McCann. And part of that um, experience, writing experience, was I got to sort of go into the depths of the New York Public Library where the, there are these magical spaces because the collection is so vast that you can key in whatever it is you're looking for and it will rise from the depths of the carols that are underground and you're able to read it, touch it, have an experience with it. And so I was able to see two things up close that changed the way I felt about heroes of mine, uh, literary heroes of mine. The first thing in the New York Public Library collection that I got to see up close um, was Jack Kerouac's baseball cards that he created when he was a child. So as a child, he couldn't really afford all the baseball cards he wanted. So he would make his own. And the New York Public Library has the collection of these homemade baseball cards from a little boy and his sort of early ways of recording information um, that he was able to process. And he would draw pictures of the players and record their stats on the back. And you could see the need to record in him, even then. So when you flash forward and you think about the myths around him writing on the road on one roll of, not toilet paper, but a roll of paper fed into his typewriter, and you see the need to record all of his experiences with Neil Cassidy in this sort of free-form stream of consciousness narrative, you can see the origins in those baseball cards, this need to say, I'm here. And it's in seeing those, you got to see him as a three-dimensional human being with a human experience, which when you hero worship writers the way I have my whole life, it sometimes, was sometimes, and especially then, impossible to see. You just didn't have access to these things. And it was really special to have access to it. Now, I'm not saying it's not special to see those things in person and be really close to them. But at the same time, I can probably Google Jack Kerouac's baseball card collection and you would be able to see it too. And the second thing that I was able to see in that New York Public Library experience were William Blake's watercolors up close and that he would draw and paint these watercolors that went along with his poetry. And part of what he saw as the purpose of poetry and what poetry does is to give vision to language and to link the two. And so for him, sketching and watercolors were just as much a part of the writing process as semantics and literary device. And so seeing those scratched out manuscripts with the drawings on the side was like witnessing a monk or something, where the painting of the illumination of the very first letter of whatever it is they were transcribing was done with so much care and so much talent and so much of the notion, I am here, here I am, I am a tool of God for the monks that can create art. And it is in that art that humanity will see themselves. So why do I bring those two ex 
experiences up that I had in the New York Public Library? Well, it is because that art is at our fingertips now. We can see the vision, the process, the progression of all kinds of artists in our society that we just never got to before. We can have masterclasses with Judy Bloom. We can listen to David Sedaris deliver any speech that we want to just by Googling it. We can also see notebooks of a variety of kinds of offerings from all different genres. So if you want to see a musician's notebook, if you want to see a photographer's notebook, if you want to see journals from a ver of an author, I mean, just tune into Patti Smith for five days and you'll see all of it. You'll see photographs and songs and poetry in all of its forms. And what she's done is lift the veil away from the pristine and offered it to you. And just as she did in her song when she said power to the people, she's offering you your own power. She's saying, look, there's a process here. And sometimes it's ugly and sometimes it's frustrating, but there's a process. And if you stick with it, if you are not resistant to the process, you too will create something beautiful. It is inside of you as well. I would also add that, that we're even able to hear the voices of the artists in our society now. I mean, think about what it would have been like to hear da Vinci talk about his creative process. And, and we take for granted all of these authors and artists in our, in our world right now that we can listen to, talk, and discuss about their ideas, how it came to fruition, what was important about it, what they want us to see in it. What a gift that is. I listen pretty religiously to a podcast called Artist Mother which I highly recommend, underscore, underscore, especially if you are a visual artist. But even if you are just a mother who is an artist, you don't have to be a visual artist. You can be a writer, photographer, gardener, whatever, because it strikes so many chords about the daily work of being both. And I really, really recommend it to you. But one thing it does do is it takes you into the studio and it allows you to hear in these women's voices their trajectory. I did this in my 20s, potentially, you know, start, maybe starting at 21. This was the work that I was interested in. This was the chaos I was trying to funnel through my body. And now here I am at 40. And this is the work that I'm doing. And this is what my space looks like. And this is what my time looks like. And here are all the mentors and all of the villages and all of the grant writing and all of the things that went into my artistic career and life. And it is not a secret anymore. And it doesn't feel like you're alone in the world because we're alone enough as artists in the creative process. I mean, Probably the exception being members of a band, maybe the collaboration process is so important for that entity to exist. But if you're a songwriter, there's a lot of time alone in front of your instrument. If you're a writer, there's all kinds of time alone um, at your desk. So what is so wonderful about this 21st century technological landscape we're living in is we can have these literal voices of people, artists that we admire welcoming us into the fold 
And we can then welcome others into the fold as well. As the technological landscape lifts the creative veil, we can also see that being an artist is not a straight line. Making art is not a straight line. Um, it is part of the spiral path. You are always turning back on yourself and revisiting your past, revisiting old projects, revisiting old spaces. There's a nostalgia at play. There's a new understanding of old struggles. There is a new way of being all of the time, but you are moving forward in your artistic journey. And that, I think, is abundantly clear when you listen to the writing process podcasts or the author interviews or um, any watch any documentary, which there's an abundance of these days. What's no longer necessary is this touched by fire mentality where artists are dropped down among us like aliens or something. Um, they're real people in real spaces making real things. And it's not to say that some of them aren't, aren't otherworldly or aren't t somehow um, forcing us to change the way we see the world. Isn't that the role of the artist anyway? Isn't that our job to receive the sort of signals from the earth, to receive um, empathy and emotional truths so that we can then transform them into something concrete that hopefully translates those things into experiences for everyone. And I am in the camp that everyone has creative intelligence. There was um, a study done, and I can't remember, honestly, I, I can't remember where I saw this. If I remember, I'll put it in the show notes. But um, where they studied geniuses. Um, they said, what the question was, what makes a genius? And one of the ways that they defined it was geniuses are those who solve problems creatively. So they started with a group of five-year-olds and they gave them a task and they had to solve it creatively. Whatever that task is and how they solved it, I don't know. But it was something like 90% of all five-year-olds would be considered geniuses under the definition provided by the experiment. And of course, as you can imagine where I'm going, as they moved on, as people got older, those percentages dropped off because creativity itself isn't necessarily valued in the same way, especially in the educational system. And seeing things differently isn't always valued. And so people were less willing to enter into those spaces where they felt free enough to create something that had never been there before and to volunteer their own unique way of solving a problem. And I think what lifting the creative veil does, it is allows us to be part of this community of creative people where our voice matters, where what, how we find joy or how we view the world uniquely is honored and is also part of the story. I mean, there are positives and negatives to lifting the creative veil. Sometimes you, you want that suspension of belief, right? You, you want to be in awe of the painting, the finished product. 
product rather than watching someone stretch a canvas. I mean, I, I get it. But if you are a young artist, you might need to learn how to do those things and realize that this is a learned process. And for those of you who feel stuck creatively, sometimes seeing that this is a real process, that there are ways to learn new ways of doing whatever art form you're doing will prevent you from wondering and asking that question, what will happen if you stay exactly where you are? If you never grow, if you never change, if you never take a risk, if you never take a chance, if you don't share, if you don't connect with other artists, what will happen to your sense of self if you stay exactly where you are? And one of the things that seeing the entire creative process laid out in front of you does is it helps you realize that your perfectionism, perfectionism is coming from you. That if you allow yourself to, to move into the public space and show what you can do to other people in whatever state it's in, that you are helping others deal with their own fears of perfectionism that keep us from trying, that keep us from doing anything, that allow our defenses to be built up and don't allow us to access that mystical place where art comes from. And so if you're comfortable making mistakes because you see other people making mistakes, if you show yourself as a beginner because you see other people at the beginning of their journey, then I say that this is a really exciting time to be an artist because you can see it in all shades. And this week, some of you may know Louise Glick, the poet, our, our poet, national poet laureate for a time, passed away, and she's a poet close to my heart. And in her great poem, Afterward, which is one of my favorite poems, in it, it's a beautiful poem and I encourage you to read it, but she says, one speaks a word, I. Out of this stream, the great forms. I took a breath and it came to me, the person who drew that breath was not the person in my story, his childish hand confidently wielding crayon. Had I been that person, a child, but also an explorer, to whom the path is suddenly clear, for whom the vegetation parts. And she goes on from there, and there's just a lot of wonderful lines from it. But the point is, is that you have to start with the I, and you have to start with feeling confident in your own voice. And then you can recognize all of the eyes that are out there, the child with the crayon, the explorer, the philosopher, the poet, that are also on this same creative journey. And then allow yourself to be a part of that journey as well. You are welcome there. You're welcome here in this space. So I wish you well, and I'll see you next week.